Prepare yourself for an adventure like no other. You don't need to know. I'm nobody, really. And now, I present to you, His Majesty, W-D-W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 656, and together, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, people, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook, community, videos, books, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and find everything else at www.radio.com. Garner Holt went from dreamer to doer as a fateful trip to Disneyland as a child led him to his parents' garage and eventually to become the largest creator of animatronics in the world. His story is as fascinating as his work, and he shares not just his inspiring personal journey, but his work for Disney, and even some of the lessons you, and maybe your kids, can take away as well. I'll then share our Disney trivia question of the week and more updates at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. I'm going to work there one day. That line, or some derivation of it, has been spoken by children as far back as anyone can remember. And many times, those dreamers become doers and make good on their promises to themselves. And every so often, that dreamer and doer becomes a differentiator, as is the case with my next guest, whose work has been seen and enjoyed by millions of people around the world in Disney parks all over the globe. He is Garner Holt, founder and head of Garner Holt Productions, the world's largest animatronics company, and he helps bring the magic to life in the Disney parks and other themed entertainment attractions. And you have been a Garner Holt fan. You just might not have realized it yet. And I'd love to welcome Garner Holt to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Good to be here. It's, uh, it is great to meet you finally again. When I said that, that I think we're all Garner Holt fans, we just don't realize it. Um, I absolutely have been. And look, I, I love a good comic book origin story. And yours is really remarkable to me, not just because you literally did say, I'm going to do that someday at a very, very young age, but you started making good on that promise to yourself right away. So if you can share your, your Garner Holt origin story with us. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of, I kind of had tunnel vision when I saw Disneyland. I just knew what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I wanted to do those kind of things. It all basically started when, when I was growing up as a child. My parents had, uh, and my whole family was in the horse business. And my uncles and parents, they had riding stables and they had horses and everything else. And I was on the back of a horse 
from, you know, moments after I was born until probably 10 years old. And uh, um, they wanted me to continue in the horse business as a veterinarian, but they basically, um, uh, you know, I, I think I burned out on horse because I was on them so much. And uh, well, during all of that, I used to watch Munsters. I used to watch all the horror movies at night with my friends, the, you know, Frankenstein and all the universal monsters and everything. And so I really, I kind of wanted to have the Munsters house. So we kind of started tinkering my friends and I with a little haunted house in the backyard. And then one day on Sunday on a Disney, on, on a channel, uh, on a television channel, there was a Disney program, The World of Color, and they had a tour of the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. And I'd never heard of such a thing. I never knew it existed. And uh, I ran, and I still remember to this day, running in my parents' room and saying, Mom, Dad, there's this Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. I want to go see it. Um, <clears throat> so I talked to them into taking me to Disneyland. And they did. And that was... Uh, Fatal mistake for people that wanted me to be a horseman, because at that point on the way home, I told them, I said, I want to build a haunted mansion. I want to build the things that I see at Disneyland. And, you know, that's what I want to do the rest of my life, you know, and uh, they kind of patted me on the head. But, uh, you know, I never looked back. It just never went went in any other direction. But your parents, thankfully so, very much indulge you, not just by taking you, you know, to Kmart and buying you the Haunted Mansion album, but you mm -hmm. literally set up shop at home and describe what that was, where in your house it was, and your parents' reaction to actually sort of making good very quickly on the promise that you made it in the car ride home. Well, I started inventing things. I started building little things in the garage. I started on a card table in the garage and then they had my whole bedroom, of course. And I basically set it up like a little shop and I, you know, I got a toolbox from my dad and I would start tinkering and I started tinkering with little hinges and wood pieces and making little things. I made my mom a little animated pumpkin that she took to work for Halloween for a Halloween contest. And we won the contest, you know, she'd push a button and the hat opened up and it said, happy Halloween and everything. So I started tinkering with things really small and, you know, my parents just seemed to, you know, they seemed to go along with the, the fact that I was busy doing things that were, you know, looked like I was learning and, you know, uh, I, you know, I still dabbled with the animals and that I had a, you know, a little petting zoo and a couple of things that I created that uh, in a reptile museum because I used to collect reptiles. And so I had animals and things, but we just continued to tinker and uh, things got more and more elaborate and the haunted house just got more and more elaborate to the point where it was, you know, pretty good little haunted house. And I would have neighborhood kids pay to come through it and that type of thing. So it was pretty, pretty, got pretty successful at that point. What I think is really interesting, just sort of put a pin in this for a second is let's sort of give context. You know, this is the early 1970s. There is no YouTube. You don't have angel <laughs> investors coming in and giving you money to start doing this. I mean, you're literally figuring it out on your own. You know, you're you're Tony Stark in a cave, right? You're sort of using scraps to build these things and make the, you know, you're using bicycle pumps and things like that to create special effects. That's correct. And uh, my first animated figure that I built, the Uncle Sam figure I built in, in high school for my bicentennial 1976 when I was I'm 15. Um, I used 
I took a hacksaw and sawed metal off my fence posts in the, my dad's backyard, um, you know, that were the part of the frame of the figure. So, I mean, I, I, I really did use scrap metal and hinges, door hinges, um, you know, crazy, crazy things like that to build my figure, you know, so it was, it was quite a struggle, you know, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of money. I just had an allowance and I, you know, do things. I used to exercise the horses from my dad and he'd give me $5 every time I do that. So I, I had a way to make some money um, a little bit that I could buy some parts and I would go down to an aircraft surplus place. And I found out that, you know, how the fi figures work with air cylinders and things like that. And I found an aircraft place that I could buy cheap, used old parts from World War II planes and stuff like that, you know. I, I am absolutely in awe of not just the the entrepreneurial spirit, but the, the foresight and the, the thought to sort of source products parts and products for these different places but and like let's be clear like this this haunted house that you built was not just you know a, a figure that jumped out at you in your garage like you literally built you know something in your backyard that a few hundred people come and then the next year right you're actually hired by the the, the mall in san bernardino to build another haunted house and this time you actually repurposed a trailer right yeah, I, I, yeah, they came to me and said, could I build one for them? And I thought, well, how, how could I possibly work on this thing a whole, the whole year? Because I figured I needed a bunch of time. My friends and I would need time to put something together. So I thought, well, you know, if I could have a trailer and pull it into the mall. So I found an old burned out construction trailer, one that had burned on the inside, but looked still looked good on the outside. And uh, it was, uh, I, I bought it for $400. So I had about a thousand dollar budget to do the whole haunted house and, um, you know, some seed money from my parents and, and some of the money that I'd made on my other haunted house and some of the products that I'd sold. So probably a thousand, twelve hundred bucks. So I, you know, I bought, I, I would scrounge old plywood and I'd make things and paint them and, you know, little gizmos that would work electrical stuff that I would find parts at the TV store and I'd make little, gadgets and things that would pop up and scream and old tape recorders I get at the swap meet I'd play you know I'd do screams on them and I'd have them play back and it would make sounds you know stuff like that so it was kind of a rickety thing but it, it worked and we pulled it my dad you know had a pickup because he was a horseman so he pulled the trailer into the mall um, you know and we I rented it to the mall for you know, for like five days, six days or something like that. So that became, that was the very beginnings of getting paid as a company. That was, you know, that's when I started calling it Garner Holt Productions, you know, because that was the very beginnings of getting paid to build a haunted house, you know. Right. So you have this, you know, Garner Holt, and I love the fact that you branded it with your name from day one. Brilliant. You, It was always Garner Holt's Haunted House of Mystery, but you know, haunted houses are not a 365 day a year industry, but what you were able to do, you know, around Halloween time in order to make most kids would start a lemonade stand. They would sell baseball cards. They would sort of, you know, do things at garage sales. You actually made and sold a product that, that nobody never realized that they needed, but, but were able to fund your projects this way. Well, what was interesting is that, a 
people from the stores at the mall that I was in in San Bernardino, um, some of the other stores, uh, you know, they they got a hold of me from like the Mall of Orange in Orange County and and a couple other places, and they said, oh, well, we, you know, our satellite stores have seen that you have a great haunted house. Could you build one for our mall? So it started branching out into malls, you know, several malls. So, you know, I was doing multiple haunted houses at the same time. So we would work all during the year. And I say, we might, that would be my friends. <laughs> and I would like a recruit <laughs> mostly volunteers because I didn't have enough money to pay them maybe pizza now and then, <clears throat> but everybody got a kick out of doing it. So, um, you know, so it, it kind of grew that way a little bit. And, you know, that's uh, when I, Around that same time, that's when I built my first Uncle Sam figure, my first uh, animatronic figure, you know, that was my first attempt. And again, instead of the lemonade stand and and cards, you also, in addition to sort of creating these experiential um, areas for people to come to, were you also making and selling severed hands in order to sort of help fund some of these projects? Well, because I was so crazy about building, I was able to get, you know, some mannequin hands and things and I molded them and I made rubber hands. And, uh, you know, this is back, back in the seventies, nobody else was doing this. You know, you, you can look in a, you know, magazine and find, you know, monster parts and, you know, millions of things right now, but there was really nothing then and very little, just masks like Don post masks, you know, and things like that. So a friend of mine came and said, uh, we're going to the beach. And so I grabbed one of my hands. I thought, oh, I'll take one of these for a gag, you know. So we, we went to Oceanside and we're hanging on the beach. And I um, buried one of the hands in the sand and had it sticking out of the sand. And we called the lifeguards. And, of course, it turned into this huge ruckus. And the police showed up and everything else. And it was a big thing. And everybody thought it was a big gag. So I... Uh, I thought, wow, there's, there's, you know, there's something here, you know? So I put it in a kid's monster magazine that we used to, that I used to buy called Fangoria. And I put it, I bought a little ad and uh, I called it the severed hand. And it was, uh, you know, about up to the wrist with a little bloody stump on the end of it. And, and uh, yeah, I sold them thousands and thousands of them all over the, the world. Literally I had them people buying them like crazy and that that helped keep the business that helped really keep the lights on you know right because you you decide at the ripe old age of of 16 to you know validate this you make it a a real company you're the only employee other than your mom (laughs) and your friends volunteering but very quickly you sort of go from you know making these things in the garage to start actually getting some quote-unquote real work from larger venues in places like Las Vegas, which eventually lead to you create literally creating Chuck E. Cheese. Well, yeah, it, 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 uh, you know, there was a couple big, you know, milestones there, but yeah, I basically started, um, eventually did, you know, I did other Halloween or I mean, other holiday things like, uh, you know, Christmas display things and things like that. You know, I got into that a little bit, so it kind of grew. And then, uh, <clears throat> I built a character that was called Wendell, the unicycle rider. And, uh, I spent a, you know, over a year building it in my, my, basically my garage. And, uh, I thought that if I could, if I had to break into the business, I had to have something that nobody had ever seen before, something really shocking that, 
you know, so I developed this, which is kind of like a mechanical magic trick. It made it look like a figure was riding a unicycle, no visible means of support. You can see it on YouTube if you put up Garner Holt Wendell unicycle rider. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that's what I took a film of that I took to the first potential theme park job that I could get in Las Vegas when they were building a, a park there at MGM Grand. It's no longer there. It was there for maybe 12 years, 10, 12 years. But um, I finagled my way, which wasn't easy, into seeing the chairman of the board of the park and showed him the tape. And he agreed that if somebody could build that, they could probably build the figures for the largest ride that they had there. And I'd never built a thing for a theme park. I'd never been in a theme building. I never had a job like that. I never had a, you know, it was like I was starting from zero. Like you say, there's no internet, no YouTube, no um, Google, or, you know, you just had to find out all this stuff on your own, you know, how to, how to do it. And how do you get to Chuck E. Cheese and not one Chuck E. Cheese, but you know, many Chuck E. Cheese well, clones. Well, I grew, I grew up as a company, grew slowly and, you know, grew, started getting some employees here and there. And I started because of the job at MGM, I got some things at knots and I started getting, you know, smaller jobs here and there and they got kind of bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, I, I started to get a little bit of a reputation and the Chuck E. Cheese people, wanted to change their concept. They had a stage that had five characters on it that were all fairly simple. And they wanted to hone it down to one character that was a, a complex character that was, you know, more Disney-like. And that was called the Studio C Project. And um, they had kind of a competition with the existing animatronic companies in the day. There was probably four or five companies, um, all of which had much more experience than I did. And um, but I was in there and um, I did a design for them. I did a, a prototype with design and, a, you know, the design of the out, how it looked on the outside versus and also the inside, the mechanical, the functions came up with a real good price and everything else. And basically I won, you know, won the competition. They kind of put it out there as kind of a competition to see who could do the best design. And, and I won, you know, which was great. And uh, so from that point, you know, I did the first prototype, took it to Texas and put it in their, their uh, test store. And they looked at it and said, this is great. So um, ended up doing 546, I believe, Chuck E. Cheese shows worldwide because of that. And uh, that that was a big, big job for 20, 20 years or so. And so... Tell the story of how you get to eventually where it is that, that you want to be, which is Disney and, and specifically capturing the attention of some very notable folks over at Wet Enterprises. Well, in the very beginning, um, by that point, I had already been talking to Imagineering because uh, I sent a tape of my Uncle Sam when I was in literally in high school still that I built in the garage and they sent out some of their top people one of which was Wayne Rogers, the father of Disney animatronics. And they looked at the Uncle Sam and they, you know, so they started talking to me about employment at Disney. They would send out their staffing people and uh, they'd come out to all my haunted houses. And, and uh, you know, I thought that I had a job there 
And that was like my dream. That was my dream. Uh, you know, I, I had the little business, but I really wanted to work for them. And uh, it never worked out that I became an employee there because they said that I would need a college education. I had tested out of high school in my junior year. So I didn't go to my senior year because I tested out. And, uh, you know, I, they, they said, well, you need a better education. You need to do this and this and this. And I was a horrible student. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to get my company going. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go back to school. Um, so, you know, the company started rolling along and they started seeing the things that I did in theme parks, you know, all over other than there. So I started getting jobs with them for smaller projects and led up to some figures for, um, for parade floats and uh, figures got more and more elaborate until um, the day that they came to me to do the Haunted Mansion holiday show, which was, uh, you know, unbelievable because that was the Haunted Mansion I dreamed of building when I was a kid. And now I get to literally tear the whole Haunted Mansion apart and <laughs> build, <laughs> build uh, animatronics for the whole place, along with sets and scenery. We did, you know, just, you know, there was you know, some other props that others did, but we did most of it, you know, the Christmas tree and the pumpkin mountain and all the figures that were in there and boogie boogie and the whole sets at the end. And it was like, it was crazy. It was like surreal. It was like living a dream that, you know, here's the place I dreamed about as a kid. And now I get to go in there and change the whole thing, you know? And I can't imagine you get this call and they say that we want you to come in and work on the haunted mansion. And, and I, I can imagine it's it's incredibly exciting and emotional, but just talk to me for a second about that moment, the moment that you were there in Disneyland and they open up the door and you walk in and you're backstage at the place where I, like, I'm choked up for you, like because yeah. I can't imagine what that must have felt like and and just I mean forgetting sort you know, of just the, the award of, of 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 getting that, but just the excitement of that 14 year old kid. Well, yeah, you know, I think back in the, where it started and, you know, what the Haunted Mansion meant to me, I, at that point, I'd ridden it a million times and I, you know, tried to figure out everything. And, you know, it just being able to basically get handed the keys and say, here, you know, this is pre 9-11. And it was like, you know, everything was really kind of lax. And it's, you know, I could just drive my car right in and park behind the place and walk in and go underneath and start working on, you know, it was surreal it was basically you know all of my staff that i had at the time we would you know be working in there i mean working with the disney people of course but um it was crazy it, and it was it was very emotional in the beginning it was very uh um you know it, it's it's kind of like fulfilling a dream come true and you and it's like everything that you've ever strived for is your entire life and then all of a sudden it happens you know? i mean it's amazing you know Right. And, and, you know, Waythel Rogers comes to your house, but even when you start working with Disney, um, you know, they don't sort of just leave you on your own. And, and you actually received some mentorship from another legend, um, Bob Gurr, who obviously had helped work on creating great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Talk mm -hmm. to me about meeting Bob and working with Bob and that relationship with him. Well, you know, people ask me about how the business started and how I, you know, how I, what my strategy is in life and business and everything. And, you know, you can sit around and think about things and you can think about opportunities. You can think about it to the point where it's like, oh, okay, well, that'd be great. But then the next day you just go off and you don't do it. 
when I would think of things, you know, you just, I jump at everything. And I still am like that. You know, I just jump at everything. And one day I'm sitting there reading something in my office and I, something pops up about this man named Bob Gurr. This was like, I don't know, 30 years ago or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm reading about him and I'm like, dang, this is somebody I need to talk to. I mean, so I basically looked in the phone book or called LA, you know, 411 and got his number. He was listed in the phone book, you know, and I called him up and I said, hi, my name is Garner Holt. I'm starting a animatronics company. I'm just a little pipsqueak and, you know, you're a legend in the business. And, you know, I thought to myself, there are two things that are going to happen. He's either going to tell me to get lost and, you know, I don't have time to talk to you or he's going to talk to me. So we talked for about two hours and the next thing you know, he was in my shop. And the next thing you know, we were working on some projects together. And the next thing after that, you know, I mean, here we are 30 years later and we're, we're good friends, you know? So, you know, you just, you just got to jump at stuff. When you think of stuff, you got to take a stab, you know, don't worry about whether it's going to work or not, you know, just, just go with it and make it happen. You know, I, I love so every part of that. Have, have, so many things I've done have evolved that way. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'll think of something driving in the car and I'll like the next day I'm on the phone hooking up with people and trying to make this all work. And sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay, fine. But you know, out of, out of a bunch of tries, you'll get a few that do, you know? And the fact that you created opportunity for yourself in, instead of waiting for it to be handed to you, um, I, mm-hmm. I applaud, especially at such a young age. So you come my to- mom used to tell me, my mom had a saying and it's a very simple saying. And she used to tell me this all the time. I'd sit there on the couch on a Saturday night and wish that I had a date. And she would walk by me and she'd point at me and she'd say, Garner, if you do nothing, nothing will happen. And she'd walk away. And she'd say that to me all the time. If you do nothing, nothing will happen. And that's, I've, that's stuck with me you know, all my life. I think all of, a lot of our moms are cut from the same cloth. They all got that same handbook <laughs> with <laughs> phrases like that. And, but it's, it's those simple things that stick with us and obviously pay, you know, you don't realize it when she says it, but decades mm-hmm. later you see the dividends that, that you reap sure. as a result from yeah. it. Um, yeah. So you come in and you work on a classic attraction like Haunted Mansion. This is the first of many projects that you have with Disney and you touch so many different, not just attractions, but but eras in Disney because it's not just classics like the Haunted Mansion. It's Tiki Room. It's Jungle Cruise. It's Small World. Is there any sort of almost additional pressure when you walk in because you understand the gravity and the importance and the emotion of the attractions that you're working on to millions. Oh of yeah. People. Big time. Yeah. You know, you want to do, we always, you know, the world nowadays with corporations and red tape and bureaucracy and legal and everything else, you know, corporations are corporations. And, but I always wanted to do things and I continue to want to do things the way I think they did them in the old days, you know, like kind of how Walt would have wanted to see it done and, you know, that kind of thing. And I just, I just like having the feeling that, you know, we kind of still have an old fashioned feel of the way that we do things. And, and uh, you know, sometimes after you weed through all the red tape and everything, you know, you can still get stuff done, but you put your heart and soul into building something the way, you know, it should be built. And sometimes customers will come to us and they can only afford a certain amount. And we'll, we'll think to ourselves, 
you know, you can't have this figure without this function and you couldn't afford this function, but we're going to put it in anyways. You know what I mean? Because it just needs it, you know? Um, so it's, it's not all about money. It's not all about, um, you know, everything is, is uh, it's more looking at it from the standpoint of what's, what's right, what looks good, what's good show, um, you know, but it's, it's uh, it, again, surreal to step into classic attractions and get to work on them like Small World and other things. And, you know, Tiki Room, we've replaced, you know, a lot of birds in the Tiki Room and, um, you know, Jungle Cruise and, the abominable snowman in the Matterhorn and the phantasmic dragon and, you know, all the other attractions and everything. It's just, it's been a real interesting ride. It's, um, and the, the cool thing about it is, is that if I'd have been an Imagineer, I wouldn't have been nearly as happy because they would work for years on one project. And, you know, I've jumped, I've done dozens and dozens of projects, but then not again, just for Disney, but for the biggest theme parks in the world, we've got more animatronics than, universal than anybody ever did and and you know things like Efteling and Europa Park in Europe we're in the two where we have animation of two biggest parks in Europe and um, knots all the Cedar Fair stuff I mean we're everywhere and it's it's uh, really gratifying to be able to have had the flexibility and the ability to be involved in all of these really cool attractions like like at knots the mine ride and the log ride we redid those completely. And I used to ride the mine ride on my dad's lap, you know, when I was a kid. And now, you know, another surreal moment is when I'm completely redoing the entire mine ride with figures and show and everything else and sound. And, you know, it just, this is crazy. It's, it's, so it goes beyond Disneyland, you know? You know, as you were talking about the Disney attractions, I really love something that you said because Although you may not have never worn a name tag from Imagineering, there's a lot of Disney in Garner Holt. And I and I really love and appreciate the fact that you mentioned Walt specifically. And I think mm-hmm. in the back of your mind, you understood the importance of what it was that you were working on. And while you may have never met Walt the man, you also understood the importance of the the, the quality and the impact it was going to have on people that were there. You see, you know, so many people do everything for the almighty dollar. And, you know, if, if I could have afforded it, I would have worked on all these tractions for free. <laughs> you know, that's that's how meaningful they are to me. And that's what I care about Disney and, and the history and everything else. I mean, but if I'd have been, you know, wealthy, I would have just, you know, I, I practically have done it for free, you know, because it, it's uh, so important to me. I grew up with all these attractions as a child. And, uh, you know, all of this is very, uh, um, very, it's my life. It's, it's really, I mean, it, it really truly is my life. And when the Imagineering wouldn't hire me, I made my own Imagineering. So um, that just, you know, goes to show you that, you know, if you're really determined, you know, you can, you can circumvent what normal thinking is and, and do what you want to do and make yourself, you know, make yourself happy that way. And creating opportunity from adversity and, and, and not getting hired by Imagineering was the best thing that ever happened to you. You didn't realize it at the time, but exactly. it was. Exactly. I say that to people all the time. That's the best thing that ever happened. It, um, and, you know, it was the, I was devastated when I realized it wasn't going to happen. I, I was depressed for six months and I didn't realize that that was the best thing that could have happened. You know what I mean? And, and I, I think I, 
I wish I could instill that in others, you know, they get so devastated by things when they don't work out. And then later on, it turns out that, you know, that was the best thing that could happen to them. Right. It's, it's Walton Mortimer, right? You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth might be the best thing that could ever happen to you is, is a quote attributed to Walt. And that's exactly what you did. And once you sort of realize that and you flip the switch, you sort of, you know, pulled up your, you pulled up your pants and, and, and went on to, to do it yourself and created attractions and touch attractions, not just with some of the classics, but, you know, dark rides like Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo and, and Little Mermaid and the submarine voyage. But you Radio also worked, uh, I'm sorry, Radiator Springs, Radio right? Spring. And as well as some of the ones that are, when I say they're, they're huge and important, not just sort of emotionally huge and important, but huge in terms of scale too, because you mm-hmm. worked on, the dragon for Fantasmic in Disneyland and mm-hmm. the Ursula Sea Witch in the Under the Sea show in Tokyo Disney Sea. We even put giant meteors in Space Mountain. I mean, we've worked <laughs> in things that people are surprised that we worked in, you know. Yeah, and you've made um, literally thousands of figures and and hundreds of of animatronics for for Disney and theme parks as, as well as um, other special effects as well. You've been recognized a number of times from the TEA themed entertainment association and, and a number of different awards, including from things like Disneyana. But as time goes on, you know, technology continues to um, improve and, and need to be adapted to. And, you know, not just from a technical perspective, but from the guest satisfaction and expectation perspective, you need to, evolve as well talk to me a little bit about the process of evolution and like disney this this con- this continuous improvement that has to take place because the animatronics that you are developing now and i've seen some video of some of the uh some of the faces that you've cr- created that you know at first glance if you didn't tell me that they weren't human I almost wouldn't believe it because you seem to have, have really almost mastered some of the more challenging parts like the eyes and the lips and the mouth movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the, the difficulty with all of that, see all of that expressive head stuff that we did, that was all self-driven. You know, we, we, we did all that ourselves in a sense. And um, you know, the, unfortunately so much of what we do for customers you know, it's based on their budgets and, you know, doesn't matter how big the park is, you know, they have a budget and they are, they will limit things. And it's very seldom do they come out and say, okay, well, here's a, you know, here's a check, go make something really amazing that nobody's ever done. Um, You know, animatronics and things we do are very, um, very uh, uh, labor intensive and they're very part intensive and very, very expensive and the one-off machines that have never been done before. And so, you know, we wish that we could do more R and D more development. A lot of times we'll be working with an attraction builder and they'll say, you know, here's a scene, what can we do here? And we'll try to come up with ways that we can say, okay, well, let's, not just have, you know, something standing there strumming a guitar, you know, let's have something really exciting, really cool, you know, and Disney's done that, you know, on their own in the past, you know, they had the sword fighters, you know, in the Pirates Caribbean and in Europe and, you know, they've done things with the Navi and all of that, you know, they've, they've kind of continued to advance the, the art and, 
and we do too, to the, you know, I mean, I don't have the budgets that Disney R&D does, but we have our own R&D department where we try to continue to develop, you know, animatronics of the future and make it better and more realistic and, and uh, come up with, you know, we've got a figure that we're building out there right now that uh, is going to be, I think, pretty amazing. It's, it's got a lot of capability and does things that nobody's ever seen a figure do. And uh, we're, you know, we always try to push, push, push the envelope, you know, raise the bar, uh, make things that are, um, you know, kind of, kind of like GM making concept car. It's like, you know, here's something really, really cool. And then it attracts the customers. And then they say, wow, you know, if you can do kind of like the old days, it's like, wow, if you can do that, you know, do something really cool like that for us, you know? So, um, you know, we just plug along, but we do, it is a business and we do have to keep the lights on, you know? So we have to, get customers and a lot of times we're doing crazy stuff. It's like, Oh, you know, this isn't very exciting, but you know, it's, it's got a paycheck attached to it, you know? Well, and sometimes those projects that, that maybe are not at Disney, you know, you never know where inspiration might come from. So part of, of this idea of taking these ultra realistic animatronics to the next level came not from necessarily just working at places like Disney or universal, but actually came, you know, more than a decade ago when you were working with the military, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, so we do work on animatronics that are outside of the theme parks. I mean, we do some things with medical, we do things with military, which you just mentioned, which, uh, basically is training simulators. So you imagine the Pirates of the Caribbean and you imagine if instead of just riding through it on a boat, you had to get off the boat and walk around and, sneak around and the pirates are really trying to kill you and you were really trying to kill them. You know, if, if instead of the pirate in the Caribbean, you're in Afghanistan or something, you know? And uh, so we did simulator work that would train our soldiers before they would go over, you know, take these kids and hand them a gun and say here, you know, they would go in these things and learn a lot of the tricks that get pulled on them and, you know, using animatronics because they were, um, prior to our animatronics, they would just see films and things, but you know, when the animatronics, they were afraid of the animatronics, just like they were real people because they didn't know what they could do. They knew they would do things. I mean, we had animatronics that could shoot you. We had animatronics that could throw a grenade at you. We had ones that would pull a gun or a knife on you. Um, we had them that where they would fall. If you shot them, they'd fall over dead and you could go check them and make sure they're dead. And then after you walk away, they'd stand back up and get ready for the next group. So We've uh, learned a lot with expressive animatronics and specialty animatronics, you know, for military, you know. Well, and I think that that leads to, you know, what's next. What, what does the future of animatronics look like? Because I think from a guest perspective, especially sort of the generation behind us, they no longer want sort of that purely passive experience. We're looking for things that are interactive and immersive. And I think even personalized too what do you see in terms of what the 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 short and long-term future of this technology and some of the things you're working on is well that's entirely possible right now you know so like i mentioned the parts caribbean just as an example so you know you have these things these bands that you're putting on your wrist you know magic key or whatever they call you know whatever you want to call it let's just use that as an example but uh you know that allows 
um, you to be identified and, you know, through, you know, our RFID type thing and people can, you know, the attraction can know who you are in a sense. So, you know, imagine the days that, you know, uh, they are more interactive, you know, you're floating by the, the uh, auctioneer and, you know, he looks down and he points at you in the boat and says, you know, Hey, Jimmy, you know, what do you give me for this last, you know, that type of thing that, well, I know they, they don't have the, that's PC, not correct. Anymore. They're not selling the women. <laughs> How much for this rum, you know, but, uh, um, you know, where they would know your name, they could address you eye to eye, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, the whole evolution of robotics is, is rocketing forward right now. You know I mean? You're going to have robots driving you around, you know, everywhere in little things called Teslas, you know, and, um, you know, their robots are going to be in everybody's life in a few years. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of these days when you walk into our lobby and check in and talk to the receptionist a while and get ready to move on through the tour, all of a sudden you realize that the receptionist you've been talking to isn't even a real person, you know? So, um, we're going to put a face on a lot of things. We, we're working on some customers' projects right now that there's some IPs. There's always characters. There's always creatures. There's always, you know, monsters and, you know, space things. And I can't mention any names, but, you know, crazy stuff out there that you see on the screen that need to be turned into real life. And it's how do you turn them into real life and make them totally believable, totally realistic, totally alive. Um, you know, and we do that a lot um, for our clients. And, and it's fun. You know, I have a, I'm having a blast doing it because it's, you know, it's been my whole life and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, and it, and it has been your whole life. And I think that you, you seem to never have forgotten where you came from. And what I also really appreciate you, Garner, is that you give back by wanting to give opportunities to a new generation of 14 year old Garner Holtz. Just talk to us a little bit about your, your, uh, education through in- imagination project. Well, we created a thing called education through imagination and you know, how, how it came about was, you know, I give tours and my people would ask for tours all the time. want to come through here and the word would spread, you know, I'd have Cub Scouts and Girl Scouts and college kids and high school kids. And, you know, everybody wanted to take a tour of the place. So we would give them tours and they, they would light up and they would say, wow, you know, I want to, they, they'd be leaving. They'd say, well, I want to work here. I, I, I'd love to work here someday. Even the doctors and lawyers we take through here, they'd smile and say, I don't want to be a dentist anymore. I want to work here and build toys, you know? And uh, so everybody seemed to really enjoy it. So, you know, I teamed up with a, a principal um, at a school that uh, near here that I adopted as a school and, that had created a maker space and we teamed up and created what's called an animator space to where it's kind of like a new shop class that you can, there's, there's basically, um, you know, the old shop classes that I thrived on that really created what I do today in schools, they all kind of went away, you know, there's not metal shop and wood shop and all that stuff in most of the schools anymore. Even a lot of the art classes went away. And uh, so we're creating kind of in a room, a miniature garden hole productions where you have all these machines, you know, laser cutter and vacuum former and a CNC printer or a CNC uh, mill and a, and a, and a rapid prototype printer and a bunch of things. And you can actually make in our classes an animatronic figure, a tiki bird that comes alive 
and sings and does the whole thing. You can make it from scratch in this room. And we're uh, putting these in schools all over the place. We've got dozens of them going out to schools that we're building them in schools and um, even as far away as Florida. And uh, we just won, uh, um, we won Edison Award, which uh, for education and we have, uh, um, you know, are very excited um, about, you know, taking this further. And so really to me, it's basically a way to kind of end I didn't want to say end of my career, but, you know, I'm, I've been doing this for 45 years now and eventually, you know, I'm going to slow down and, you know, not, not be the, 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 you know, in 10 years or so, I I didn't want to just be sitting around on a table building tiki birds and, and, you know, end, end up with a bang that way. I wanted to leave something behind. So I thought, wow, you know, if we could, you know, give, have a way to where, uh, you know, a million kids could experience the excitement and enjoyment learning about robotics, but in an animatronic form where it includes all the arts and everything else. It's not just like a robotic kit in a classroom that's just electrical and mechanical. This includes everybody, script writing and, and uh, voiceover work and, and sculpting and costuming, and as well as the mechanical electronics to build a whole figure. We have little miniature human figures that they can build. And uh, so super excited about that. And I'm anxious to see this thing continue to grow. It's snowballing right now and we're really excited about it. So um, that'll make me very happy to someday, you know, 20 years from now, if I ever do slow down, I'll, I'll be able to look at this and say, wow, this has really culminated in something really cool. You know, I love the fact that you're thinking about, legacy not just in terms of the figures you leave behind but the positive impact that you have through education although you do know garner that every adult who's listening right now is going hey why don't you have this for adults too because they would sign up for for a class like that in a heartbeat yeah we do we are doing this so basically we started the animaker space concept in grade school level and then we went to middle school and then we went to high school, but now we're getting our first uh, requests and putting our first animaker spaces in colleges. Um, so, um, you know, technically it is reachable to everybody. And, um, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's there are very few of them in colleges right now, just the very beginning of that. But, you know, I hope in a couple of years you'll see them all over the place, you know. I'm ready to so play Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield and go back to school just so I can take some of these classes and see, um, you know, but again, coming full circle, Garner, um, you know, and you're thinking forward about your legacy and what you leave behind. But when you when you visit the parks now, do you look at your work and do you are you able to remember that feeling that 14 year old boys excitement and vision and are you able to sort of step back and go i said i was going to work here i said i was going to make this and i made this like this is this is something that i made and and sort of distance yourself from the work and just from a a personal emotional level yeah sometimes i have to sit back and pinch myself and think you know i i I, you know it's been 45 years since i was a a kid in high school but I, i think to myself once in a while, it's like, how did all this happen? It's like, this, it, how did I get here? You know, this is just, 
it, you know, it's almost just like a flash and, and you're here and we've got this giant facility and we've got, you know, another education building across the street and I've got all these people building all this attraction stuff. And it's like, wow, you know, this is really amazing. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I do, I do, you know, I go to parks. People always say, well, does, the, does it ruin the magic for you having built things? Well, you know, no, because what it is is that I, I go to the park um, usually formally as a guest once a year now, like to Disneyland, we, we go and we actually take the guided tour. Um, and the reason we do that is because, you know, you get kind of walk through the place, you, you kind of get a special treatment and you kind of get a chance to really not have to worry about zoom around. You kind of relax and look around it and see things the way you want to see them. But I don't, I don't look at the stuff that we built. I, I sit in the boat and look at the people and I see them react to it, you know, and I like to watch the people's faces when they see things and react to it. And I love to take people who have never been there and watch them react to it, you know, and uh, that's how I get my enjoyment now is just seeing people enjoy what we do, you know. It's the perfect answer. Cause I said earlier that I think there's a lot of, of, Disney and Garner Holt productions. I also think like that's a perfect Walt Disney answer. Like I think there's a lot of Walt Disney in Garner Holt too. And I mean that to be the compliment that, that it sounds like, but let's be honest, Garner. I know we're all proud of all of our children equally and we love them all equally, but is there one figure that you're proud of or makes you go wow? Or like, yeah, this, this is it. This is the one that still sort of makes me smile or make me proud. So every, you know, I, I've been asked that before and I've put a lot of thought into that answer and, and um, it really goes by decade in a sense or kind of by era. You know, when I, when I, I mean, nothing was more important than my first figure, Uncle Sam, you know, as a kid. Where is and then, yeah, where's Uncle Sam now? He's in a crate upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um and then, you know, the first figure that I did for the Haunted Mansion, Jack Skellington, that was groundbreaking to put a classic or a figure, a, a high-end figure in a classic Disney attraction that didn't get built by Disney by somebody else was that never been done before. And, you know, that wasn't built by Imagineering. And so that was a class, you know, and then the Radiator Springs, that was a milestone. And then the Dragon, that was a huge milestone. So kind of like every decade, it's kind of like there's one. And then Wendell, the unicycle rider, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have had the first theme park job. So, you know, I can point to milestone figures that all were critical in the development. And then Chuck E. Cheese, you know, I, I walked through this building. I said the other day, I had a tour the other day, and I was pointing this. I said, uh, we have the first Chuck E. Cheese here that was ever built. And I was showing it to him and I said, you know, we leave him here as an honorary citizen because thanks to him, I think he paid for this building and, you know, this giant building we're in. And, and it's like, you know, thanks a lot, Chucky. You always have a home here, you know. And uh, so all of them are very meaningful to me and very important to me in, the own, in their own way, you know, but uh, those specific characters, I think, are the milestone characters, you know. I would say for Walt, it all started with a mouse. It started with Mickey. For you, it started with Wendell, but maybe it really started with Chuck E. Cheese. So it was, it was all uh, Yeah, for some strange reason, the, the, the rodents seem to start these businesses. You know? <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> it's 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 uh, incredibly poetic. And Connor, I I will tell you on behalf of myself and my family who has enjoyed your work and your team's work for so many years. I, I appreciate it. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, they can go to garnerholt.com or garnerholt education through imagination.com. I'll put both of those links in the show notes. Garner, I love your story as both Disney fan and entrepreneur, and I love and appreciate being able to uh, share it with others. So so thank you so much for what you do as well as for your time today. Well, thank you. And uh, they can also, if you put Garner Holt into YouTube, there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, even me as a youngster, and there's a lot of the expressive head stuff and Lincoln and all that. So you see a lot of that kind of stuff on YouTube. But yeah, it's been a real pleasure. I, you know, it's it's interesting kind of going over the history and everything, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to do it. And I appreciate people like you who are fans that keep the magic going, you know. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details of what you see, hear, taste, or remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you, because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you literally help bring every episode of WW Radio to life Every live broadcast from the parks, our contests, giveaways, they are all thanks to, because of, for, and really by you. You can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month and get cool exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, group video calls, access to our private Facebook group, shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from the parks, and much more. I would love and appreciate you being part of the nation. To find out more, become part of the nation family and find out how your optional contribution goes to benefit our Dream Team project, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America, you can go to www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's and select our winner. So last week we were talking about Roy and Walt, but did you know that Walt had another sibling or siblings as well? And your question and challenge last week was to tell me, name all of Walt's brothers and sisters. First, thanks to all of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that Elias and Flora Disney had not one, not two, not three, but five children. Herbert was born in 1888. Raymond was born in 1890. Roy was born in 1893. Walt, obviously in 1901. And then Ruth in 1903. If you had entered and got this correct, congratulations and thank you for playing. I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were once again playing for an exclusive trivia contest prize only, WW Radio pin, keychain, and mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Desiree Bassett. So Desiree, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So November is Native American Heritage Month, and actually back on show 537, we talked about Native American heritage in the Disney parks and movies with Paul Gowder from powwows.com. It's a really fascinating look 
at references to Native Americans, not just in Walt Disney World, but beginnings in Disneyland and some of the references and tribes and artwork, as well as look back on their presence in Disney films and connection to Walt Disney himself, as well as some unrealized concepts, attractions, and land. It's a really interesting look at some of the not-so-well-known and unrealized connections between Disney and Native American culture. Again, that's show 537. Anyway, references to Native Americans can be found in a number of places throughout Walt Disney World, including on the Liberty Square Riverboat. As we pass an Algonquin Indian village, your captain, Horace Bixby, tells you that this Algonquin Indian village is from what tribe? So this week, tell me, what tribe does Horace Bixby tell you that this Algonquin Indian village is from? And I'll give you a huge hint. You may not necessarily remember the attraction narration, but I guarantee you've heard the name of this tribe before. So you have until Sunday, November 7th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com Click on this week's podcast, use the form to enter once again, and you're playing for the pin, the keychain, and the mystery prize. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Garner as much as I did. I'd love to know your answer to our question of the week. As long as we're talking about animatronics, what is your favorite audio animatronic figure in the Disney parks? You can answer this question and be part of the community and conversation by joining the WW Radio Clubhouse group on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello. You can email me, Lou, at www.radio.com. If you have a question you want me to answer on an upcoming show, or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1 with an answer to the question of the week, a comment, or just a hello from the parks. I also want to give huge and sincere thanks to every member of the WW Radio Nation family. I love and appreciate you and your support and your friendship and the help, and I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members like the McNamara family, Tim, Nick Slate, Katie Hines and Ed Buskirk. If you want to help the show and get exclusive awards and help our Dream Team project again, go to www.radio.com support. In addition to the podcast, please don't forget to join us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, live from the parks as we talk and walk and sometimes ride, or the home studio as we talk about our top five live, discuss this week's podcast, our Disney Plus pick of the week, your questions, comments, and more. It's a lot of fun, thanks to the incredibly welcoming community that you have helped create. Again, turn on notifications both on the WDW Radio Clubhouse as well as on the WDW Radio page on Facebook so you don't miss a thing. Also, you can join our spoiler support group to talk about all things Marvel. The Eternals is coming out this week. I cannot wait. We literally just got a trailer for the Book of Boba Fett. There's a lot of conversations about some of the Easter eggs going on in this group. Again, just go to www.radio.com slash spoilers. And if you know me or have heard the show before, you know that as much as I love connecting with you online i still believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug and events are finally coming back go to www.radio.com slash events to find out everything we have going on in walt disney world including our next meet of the month coming soon i'll be cheering on the boardwalk for the half marathon this coming sunday for wine and dine weekend if you go to www.radio.com slash cruise 
You can find out and come join us for any of our cruises next year and in 2023. We've got our Marvel Day at Sea from Miami in February, our inaugural cruise on the Disney Wish June 20th, our very merry time cruise on the Wish December 5th, and our Disney Fantasy 8-night overnight in Bermuda April 15th, 2023. And in just a few weeks, I will be at and live from the House of Mouse Expo, thanks to our friends over at the Main Street Mouse, November 27th and 28th at the Embassy Suites, located just down the road from Walt Disney World. Again, if you go to www.radio.com slash House of Mouse, you will find out more. And my Momentum Weekend Workshop, November 13th and 14th, is now officially sold out, but you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, if you want to get on the waiting list. And even if you've been unable to come to Momentum, I'd love to be able to give back to you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity and the life that you've given me. I want to help you individually or your business, your event or your school. Lots of different ways I can try and do it through speaking, coaching, mastermind group forming and and other events as well. Just go to lumangelo.com for more information. Thanks as always to Mousewind Travel, my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs, whether you're going to a Disney destination or anywhere in the world, you get incredible levels of personal service that comes at no cost to you. You can go visit them and get a free new obligation quote, mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. How can you do that? Share a link to this or your favorite episode over on social. Tag me at Lumangelo. Make sure that I see it. Even if you just tell a friend and invite them to listen and subscribe to the show as well. Incredibly appreciated. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show. It's one of the best ways you can help. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Brum Stew from the United Kingdom. I still think it's cool and amazing that people from around the world listen. Uh, This part makes me uncomfortable. It says, Lou the legend, I'll move on. It says, I've been listening now for about 12 months ahead of a planned return to Walt Disney World in January from the United Kingdom. Lou continues to inform and inspire me ahead of our trip. His enthusiasm is contagious in a good way. Keep up the great work. And that is from Stuart in Birmingham in the United Kingdom. Again, just search for WW Radio and Apple Podcasts or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes for a direct link and instructions on how to do it. And finally, most importantly, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean it when I say that I love you. I appreciate you. Even if I've never met you because you have done so much for me just by virtue of your listening. I know how valuable your time is, and I hope that in exchange, the show has made you happier, maybe inspired you to be better, maybe you learned something new. As we step into November, it's a month of Thanksgiving and giving thanks. I am thankful all the time, and I am thankful to you and for you. It is because of you that I choose the good, that I find the good in everything and everybody that I encounter, and I hope that you do that as well. I hope that you be the good, not just for yourself, but for other people, and give to others with no expectation of anything in return. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you so, so very much. If there's anything I could ever do for you, please just reach out to me and let me know. I hope to see and talk to you on Wednesday during the live show. So until next time, see ya. Hi, everybody. It's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. Um, just listen to the most recent episode, or maybe it was the one before. Now I'm getting them confused. Anyway, one of them was about the new Seacoast um, 71, which I am now dying to go to. I love nothing more than great comfort food in a fancier environment. So I am looking forward to seeing the contemporary and all its new glory soon. Um, also, since the episode about uh, Roy Disney, who I think this was such a nice episode, and I think it was good to shine some light on him as a, or as the person and character who really did uh, make all the dreams come true 
and I think he never gets enough credit. So thank you for shining some light on him as an individual. Um, he's definitely, yeah, not talked about enough, and I like how you mentioned where you can find him in the parks and everything. Um, so anyway, yeah, I hope everyone is surviving here in the Northeast, that it is super rainy and cold, and it feels like, yeah, just not summer anymore. <laughs> And it's gross. But anyway, hope everyone that's not up here is enjoying their weather in some way, shape, or form. And, uh, yeah, hope everyone's having a magical day. Make someone's day magical. Be magical. Spread magic. And I will talk to you all real soon. Bye, guys. (laughs) 